You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey everyone, it's Kat and Stefania. You're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. We have a very exciting guest for you today. We are talking to Aubrey Nichols. She's a writer, speaker, and self-love advocate. Her work has been featured in publications such as The Week, Elite Daily, and she works with brands like Apple and Google to dig deep into the behavior, the psyche behind what drives our decision-making when it comes to how we use products. Yeah. I love this conversation because Aubrey gets so vulnerable with us. She shares her story on how she experienced and then moved through and out of a really challenging past, how she learned from it. She really pulled herself up out of the depths of her pain and her unhappiness and created a better life for herself and a life with more meaning for her. Yeah. And the way that she describes it, she had this light bulb moment when she realized she had been looking for happiness in all the wrong places, bad relationships, drugs, body control, you name it. That moment helped her gain the awareness and take action to find the things that she'd been looking for on the outside, inside of herself instead. Aubrey's a great example of someone who is not afraid to be vulnerable, which is not easy. It actually takes a lot of strength. And in this conversation, what we aim to explore and what I think comes out is, you know, there's this idea that look on the inside for your happiness, find love on the inside. It's not about the external things. And yeah, we get that philosophically, but what does it actually mean and how do you actually do it? What does it actually look like? And this conversation explores what that actually means beyond this pie in the sky idea and what it can actually look like in someone's life through a very moving story. Yeah. And this conversation really got me thinking a lot about vulnerability and the idea of being vulnerable and why it's so hard to share what's really going on under all of the masks and everything that we portray ourselves as. Why do you think that is, Stefani, that it's so hard to be vulnerable? Well, I was thinking about this a little bit before this conversation and two things came to mind right away. And I want to get your thoughts on them too. The first, first, I thought about what Dr. Katherine Sanderson, who we recently had on the podcast, said about vulnerability. She said, and she is a professor of psychology. She has studied and done so much research. She knows her stuff when it comes to this from a scientific perspective as well. And she said that vulnerability is an indicator of emotional intelligence. So the more emotionally intelligent you are, the greater your 
aptitude for sharing your vulnerability, for embracing yourself as a, a vulnerable person. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I thought that that was such a great point because being able to navigate all of these parts of ourselves is part of being emotionally intelligent and being able to navigate the world as we are. Because when I think about emotional intelligence, that's what I associate that with. And so that came to mind right away. And I think is a really important reminder that vulnerability is strength. The other thing that comes to mind is that I feel like sometimes we're not vulnerable or we're not showing our vulnerable, authentic self because we don't even recognize that that's part of us. We can't even access it because it's so covered and we have so much armor on that we don't feel like, oh, I'm not showing my authentic self and I'm not being vulnerable. We're so far from that, that we don't even recognize that part of ourselves as us. And so then there's a lot of work to do to really identify it and then start to bring it out so that we can feel freer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I found it really hard in the past in the context of like sharing feelings and sharing how I feel Mm -hmm. because that is a part of vulnerability. And I've learned that when you are vulnerable with friends, with in your relationships, the relationships are so much closer. There really isn't. And I think Catherine Sanderson said this as well. There really isn't a relationship if you're not willing to go there and you're not willing to share what's going on. And even if you don't know, or you haven't been able to access those deeper parts of yourself, you can start by just sharing what's going on inside of you and what you're feeling in that moment. I remember when I first moved here and I didn't know anyone and I wanted to make friends and I just had everything out, my heart on my sleeve. And because that's how I was feeling at the time and I wanted to build those connections. And that was what came naturally to me. And I did build really strong connections as soon as I moved here because of that vulnerability. So I think that it is important, but it's really hard. And I find it harder with certain people that I don't know as well. Do you find that too? Yes. It's really funny that you say this because I was thinking about this this morning outside of the context of thinking about our conversation today that I've always gotten along really well with all of my bosses and coworkers. There's one boss that I had in my past that I got along with fine, but we really didn't mesh and I never felt like I could fully be myself. I always felt very judged. And I felt that this person was very judgmental of me, both personally and professionally. And it was so uncomfortable. And I think that that maybe is when it feels more difficult to be vulnerable, when we feel like we are around someone who isn't actually seeing us, but is judging us. Mm. And so that's when I think it becomes more difficult. You only need a few friends. And I believe that because I think that there are people in your life that maybe aren't and don't have your best interests or you feel like you're being judged. And I don't think you necessarily have to be vulnerable with those people. They don't deserve to get that if that's how you're feeling. They don't deserve to get that part of you. That's the beautiful part. That's the vulnerable part. Yeah. And I think that's part of having boundaries and really Mm -hmm. listening to yourself on, is this someone who deserves to have access to this part of me? Mm -hmm. Or is this someone or something where it doesn't make sense for me to allow access to this part of me? One thing that I thought about in the context of work around vulnerability as well, and curious if you kind of associate these things with vulnerability, but... I associate this with vulnerability. So I remember I, at the beginning of my career, was very nervous and stiff when I was 
giving presentations or talking in front of a group. I would prepare every word, memorize every word. And I was just stiff. And if I forgot a word or if I forgot something, I was like, oh my God, I messed up. Like, this is horrible. Then once I, you know, learned, and this comes with experience as well, but once I learned to get a little bit more comfortable with what I do know and what I don't know, I could just be so natural and talk. And if I didn't know a particular thing, I didn't have to pretend. And I could talk about what I did know and what I could share. And my whole style of speaking and presenting changed and it just got so much easier because I was no longer trying to stick to a script or trying to stick to, I'm professional Stefania who knows all of these things and knows what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm a human. I know what I know. I'm going to share that. And it just felt so much more natural. And then I stopped getting so nervous. So I think that at work, speaking in front of groups we can think about vulnerability a lot too, because we can just be our authentic self, align with what we know and not feel like we need to be professional Stefania or presentation Stefania and just be the person that we are. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think it just reminded me of like, you don't need to try and be someone else when you're presenting or doing anything. And I think that that's really freeing when you just talk like yourself, interview like yourself, Mm -hmm. present like yourself. You can strive to want to be better and do different, you know, have improve your presentation skills, grow, but you don't have to say, I have to do it exactly like that person because that person has made it. Just be yourself and then it just feels so freeing. On the career vulnerability, it reminds me of something Oprah has said in the past, She said that at the beginning of her career, she modeled herself off of Barbara Walters and tried to do everything as Barbara had done because Barbara was success and she Mm -hmm. wanted to model herself off that, but she wasn't hitting her stride. And one day she got so tired of doing that that she said, I am just going to be me and all of me and show my vulnerabilities and show all of me. And that was when she really started to hit her stride and her success. And she says, now, if there's any part of you that you are hiding, that you aren't really allowing the world to see that's really a core part of you, you will never reach that full highest potential if there's any part of you that you're hiding. And I think that that is true when we think about vulnerability, not just at work, but also with our friendships, with our relationships. We'll never hit that highest stride if there's any part of us that we're hiding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone and yourself included will love that part. (laughs) I think we're hiding because we feel that, oh, well, that part's not good enough or that part won't be accepted, but it will. And everyone has those parts of themselves that, you know, we don't prefer, we don't like, but it'll be loved. Yeah. All right. Well, some thoughts from us. Would love to hear what you guys listening think about this. And if you have had any similar experiences to some of what Kat and I shared around vulnerability, But let's get into this conversation with Aubrey. Like we said, it's a really honest conversation around pulling herself up out of her challenges, how she moved through that, and then how she continues to deal with it now. All right, let's get into the conversation. And guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review and share it with a friend that you think could benefit from hearing this conversation. you have a 
really inspiring story. And I know that you've talked a lot about this, um, about how in the past you were really looking, you know, kind of outside of Mm -hmm. yourself for happiness versus going within. So I'd love it if you could share a bit more about that process and how you turned that around. Well, I can just say, you know, I'm 43 now and it's six years old growing up in Texas. I was the firstborn of like a beauty queen mom and an Air Force pilot. He flew F-16s, turned oil tycoon. And I went into the um, bathroom and I looked down at my thighs and I just thought they were too fat. And really that was like the beginning of me looking outside myself for an answer to like feel to feel comfortable and to feel like I was enough. So, you know, from age six, you know, on, I danced with varying the eating disorders, anorexia, the bulimia, shuffling carbs around the plate, trying to get some sort of sense of control. And then, you know, until I sort of, it's, again, anorexia is exhausting. Bulimia is like, it's deadly. You know what I mean? So it just became very tiring. So then I, I was like, well, drinking and doing drugs is a lot easier than that. So I sort of, you know, jumped tracks to that sort of thing. I mean, both are addictions with their own set of challenges, right? I mean, from there, it was like unavailable men. It was like really bad boyfriends who treated me bad and hit me. And, you know, and then I even spent a year in the strip club trying to like, you know, just that male affirmation Mm -hmm. felt so good. It was like, I felt powerful, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that was sort of that. And then, you know, until I was 35, then I walked down the aisle to a man thinking that he could love me for me, you know, that I'd finally be enough. I'd sort of patched together the semblance of a life. I was working in advertising. I wasn't like a total degenerate, but I somehow like tricked him into thinking that like I had, I was like ready to be a wife and I really wasn't. The truth be told, he was my emotional equal. So he just loved himself as much as I did, which was not at all. Mm. Self-loathing was super intense. And, you know, three years later into the marriage, it really you know, they say, wherever you go, there you are. And Mm -hmm. there I was, except an even more miserable, empty version of myself. My moment was like, you know, I had the houses, I had a home in the Berkshires, a big loft in Soho. He owned art gallery on the Bowery. It was like dripping in pink diamonds, you know, the Land Rover, all the things. And it was like, I could wanted to jump out of my skin. And so I was like walking into Equinox. It's like a bougie health club, you know, and I sort of walk in there. I'm like, you know what? I can't do seven miles on the treadmill. I'm tired, you know? And so I walk into a dance studio where I see all these people like smiling. I'm like, what's happening here? I like pull my hat down low, go in the back corner of the dance studio then one, two, three, Rachel Platten's fight song. I take back my life song. That song comes on and I just start bawling, you know, and that was really my moment. I was so shrouded in self-hate that like, I just couldn't do it anymore. And like my true self was just like, no, you know, at that point I was 16. I mean, not 16 years sober, but I had been sober a long time, maybe nine years. And I was just like, when you're sober, you really just can't escape 
the truth. Once you realize the truth, like this marriage isn't right for me. I am not treating myself nice. I get these self-hating voices. I can't handle them anymore. So I just had to stop. I like, I couldn't take it anymore. And I fell to my knees and I said enough, like I am enough. Mm-hmm. So that was really my moment. And the, sort of the beats of the story leading up until that moment. Wow. That's a lot of different experiences and different kinds of experiences through that period of time. What do you feel like was moving you from one thing to the next? You talked about how you were searching for validation. When you look back on that period, what do you feel like was doing that? And do you have any kind of big reflections or ahas when you now look back on that with who you are now? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there's different stages in my life. You know, when I was going to AA, I would say like, oh, it's that phenomenon of craving, you know, Mm -hmm. that that maybe was the thing that I really identified with. But now what I really think what it is, is my power. I was afraid of my power. I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm a creative being, like I am a writer. Like I've got a lot of chaotic energy that involves meditation, you know, a practice stillness. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted someone, I mean, I honestly think that those things, I was looking for an easy button. Mm -hmm. Make me not like this because it takes a lot of tending to Mm -hmm. like a creative being. And I really do feel like, For me, my addiction was a creative energy, a creative power that I didn't know how to handle. And growing up, I was told that it was too much. Mm. So that's kind of what I think propelled me. And I I mean, I still struggle with with today. It's like, do I want to like go out like the normal folks and just like stroll? Or do I want to sit down and like pour some of my insides out on the page? Well. Mm The good news and the bad news is, is that if I do that, if I sort of tend to my, in, my chaotic and sort of really wild inner world, then I like get to go out and experience all those things peacefully and, and being fully present. And so I, you know, I have a choice of whether I can look at it as a gift or I can look at it as sort of a burden. You know, it depends on the day. Today, I'm feeling like it's a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think with anything like, drugs, alcohol, any of that. It's like that quick kind of immediate satisfaction. Whereas, you know, owning your power and owning yourself is such a longer process. But then when you do it, it is much better than that quick fix because then you have like the come downs and all of that. Can you talk about how that was for you a bit more in the, in like what it felt like with, you know, having those quick fixes and then how it feels now that you are experiencing that authentic power of yourself? Yeah. The quick fixes had the like, I mean, it's like I could smell the cocaine. Like, you know, even starving has an energy to it. It's a powerful energy. It kept me safe in that, you know, cafeteria during high school. It kept me like numb from not being cool and not thinking I had it all together. And like, you know, but it also kept me in this having that high and then coming down, having that low. And for me, when I was a child growing up, my role that I played in my family of origin was damsel in distress, mm-hmm. victim, girl who's never emotional basket case. You know what I mean? Aubrey's crying again. So it really kept me in that place 
of like continually breaking down and playing that role because I learned that when I was broken down, needy, small, suffering, in contraction, that I got love. So why wouldn't I continually play that? Mm. Right. And so, you know, I have to watch myself today when I, when I take risks because I say, are these like, you know, or when I drink too much coffee, it's a small thing, but it's actually a big thing for me because I am very sensitive to coffee. Like certain times in my cycle, I can handle it. Certain times I can't. It's like, you know, what is the role that this is playing for me? And like, I would say right now, my power being, especially after COVID, when I was experiencing a lot of post-traumatic, I mean, trauma and fear that the power feels very similar to the fear So I'm just starting to separate the two and realize, hey, baby girl, that's your power. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. happiness. That's like creative energy. You know, that's not sirens are outside. You know, that's not like empty shelves at Trader Joe's. That's not the explosion that you were in in New York. So it's just like, you know, that's not all the ecstasy that you were on when you were 20. So it's like having to remind myself that, I guess if you were, that's a great question. They're very similar feelings. The highs mm-hmm. are very similar feelings. So I just have to remind myself over and over again with things like taking baths, meditation, jumping in the ocean, that I'm safe. My body is like, I'm safe in my body. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you described the why behind that playing that role and being that damsel in distress, you're rewarded for it in some way. And I think that that's how so many of us can get caught up in behaviors that aren't healthy because there's a reward that feels good that's coming from it. And so we're kind of like, we are addicted to then like doing what we are comfortable with in order to get that reward. And I think it can apply to so many different things. And even on the topic of addiction, you know, you're sharing your experience and journey with drugs and hard drugs, alcohol. And I think that we can be addicted to so many different things. And I think about this a lot because I definitely feel like I've had a little bit of that with certain things, whether it be addiction to things like social media or needing to be productive or even wanting to get validation that like I'm doing a good job and I'm like addicted to that. I've definitely gone through periods of that. And I think that a lot of us are faced with that now, especially with so many different distractions that we have, even addiction to, like you said, things like coffee or addiction to being, you know, crazy uh, regimented with your eating. So I just bring up some examples because I think that it really is a topic that many of us, maybe most of us um, experience in some way in our lives. And I'd love to hear from you, how then did you really begin turning it around? So you shared that you had this experience in the class, but then from taking that moment of inspiration, how did you actually turn it around? So I would say that, you know, I say it's September 2004-ish is when I stopped drinking. Really, I stopped drinking so I could stop throwing up. And whatever I sort of drank, it opened up the window to other things that were never good. And it was just like sort of hit or miss. And, you know, really, I'm eating disordered at the beginning. It's like beer had too many alcohols. I mean, Mm. too many alcohols for me. I'm like, you know, so anyway, I did that. And then, you know, so that was 2004. So I'd been sober a while and dealt with addiction and, you know, going to the rooms of AA and like had a sponsor, did all those things. I was like an A++. 
But then I was like, I actually don't believe that I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. But I did make a lot of friends and had a lot of community. But um, and, and the reason that I realized that is when I started and when I got on my self-love journey, so the same community that was taking that dance class, the teacher taught this class called Intense Sati. So for me, this was part of it. It was embodied affirmations, like high-impact cardio plus like Tony Robbins affirmations, like I am powerful beyond measure. I am stronger than I think. I am braver than I seem. I am blessed with all I need. So you do these movements paired with these affirmations. And then really that's what did it for me. And that's also why I stopped going to AA because it started to crowd out these negative programs that I was running in my brain since I was six. And then I was like, whoa, well, if I can make, you know, I can lessen the noise and the mean girl talk from just doing this, then I might be onto something. And I truly believe that you can reprogram and rewire your brain. So I did that. I did journaling morning pages. I wrote down everything, separating myself from the thoughts that were in my brain that I thought were me. They were actually creating my emotions, which created my behaviors, which created my life. So setting intentions in the present tense. I am so happy and grateful that I am like making you know, $10,000 a month. I am so happy and grateful that I am nourishing my body with good foods. And it was through these statements and writing it down that I was able to actually complete, I mean, reach goals. And I would say that the last part of it, well, I was meditating, like getting quiet in the stillness, using insight timer, I do like short ones, I do long ones, using music to get in a heart space, and then really being surrounded by a community of women. I love what you said about dance and because it, it actually moves those emotions and even trauma out of your body. And it's incredible. And that actually just inspired me to want to do dance more because it is like it's such a powerful practice. What did it feel like inside? Was it a process that was really difficult at first and then it started getting easier? How was that with those first few days for you? Yeah, for me, I'd just known so much struggle in my life and known so much pain that I was ready to get happy. I mean, Mm -hmm. it would like, you know, 40 minutes or maybe 30 minutes on a good day. I mean, movement is very important to my process. Like, I was always, I used to have this like tagline, I move so I can move you. So it's very important for me to move, to know what I'm thinking. Sometimes I have to work out before I work out. Like if I go to class, but 30 minutes into like the dance class or the intense sati, my teachers will always be, there she is. You know, there she is. Cause it's just caring as an empath is like, you know, I'm just carrying so much of other people's stuff. And so Yeah. Once I got into my body and realized that like I was feeling good and like it was okay to feel good and this was not scary, then I was all about it. I also love the movement thing. And something that I've been adopting lately is even doing more like spontaneous movement. So I have my workout and I have my rituals and practices, but also sometimes I'll just feel like a spontaneous urge to do a particular stretch or do a particular kind of movement. And I love doing that. And when I just seize the urge to do that spontaneous movement, I always feel great. Do you ever take part in that as well? 
Yeah, I feel like we should all do one movement that we like feel like we yeah. want to do right now. Oh, right now? now? Yeah. Well, we do. Yeah. I would like just do like something like that or like, I don't know. I love stretching my back. Yeah, sometimes I do Pilates. Oh, don't yeah. I love, I tend to have spontaneous urge to do this like arms up thing like this. Like even when I, even when I'm running, sometimes I'll do it and I look so ridiculous. I'm outside. I don't run that much. I'm not a big runner, but like I will just put my arms up like this. And, and sometimes I really have this urge to do this. I don't know what it means. I think someone who knew energetics of the body might be able to advise me on that. So if you're just listening to this, I'm just raising my arms up in a V and my hands are really open and I love doing that. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I think that this stuff, I mean, if, you know, people are listening and they're sitting in front of their TV and they like want to go for a walk. Listen, we get you. But like, go for the walk. And that's, I'm so concerned about people right now. I'm so concerned mm-hmm. about them. And I'm so just hoping that people are getting out and moving, hope that people are stating the obvious we're basically still mm-hmm. stuck at home. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like I feel very strongly. I'm like, write it out, dance it out, scream mm-hmm. it out. I do the static breath work in the morning where I scream and cry and like, you know, sex it out, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you have to do. Like this is, don't keep it in you. I talk about it until you can't talk about it anymore. It's really important to hear like, people who are safe to where they can say, oh, me too. Mm -hmm. I love what you said a minute ago as it relates to this. You said what I was carrying, I was carrying so much that wasn't mine. And that's what I just thought of just now when we're all talking about release and releasing this stuff. I believe that we usually know when we really get quiet and we really sit there and think about what am I carrying that's not mine, we can then identify it so then we can release it in any way. This crazy kind of phenomenon has happened to me many times where I've brought that question up to someone and they become very, very emotional. This has even happened with people that I don't really know. I was doing a just a one-time session with someone that I normally don't just do a one-time session. And that was something that came up. And I said, what are you carrying that's not yours? And this person began a complete emotional release and becoming really emotional. And it's happened so many times. I even began getting a little emotional just now when I said, what are you carrying that's not yours? And I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like so many of us relate to it, including myself. And I wonder your thoughts on it. And from my perspective, I would so much suggest that we sit with that and really ask ourselves what we're carrying that's not ours so that we can release it in whatever way feels good. Yeah, I would say that's super powerful. I'm glad that you brought it up. I too got very emotional when you started to say it. And um, I actually am working with a coach to help me level up my self-love game and even deeper. And my practice this week, my assigned, my homework was a cord cutting exercise. And it's really, I mean, but what I was supposed to say is like imagining these people and imagining cutting these cords, like to my mom, like her expectations of me and my dad, you know, his perspective of me is needy or not, you know, almost famous or whatever that is that he may or may not think, but then taking these cords out of my body, maybe, and then saying, this is not mine. Right now, I give it back to you. No one can take my energy without my permission. I no longer receive your projections. 
thank you, I mm-hmm. love you. And just doing that and writing down all these people who I feel tied to for whatever reasons. And I, I woke up feeling very different, I will have to say. And I don't know why that is because it was really a very unmonumental practice. Mm-hmm. I think the universe listens though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like coming into your own authenticity and your own power. And so many, like you mentioned your dad, but so many of us still have those cords tied very closely to usually a specific one of our parents, like either our mom or dad that like, you know, we're trying to prove or we're trying to be something that we think that they want us to be, but maybe it's just, that's not realistic. And if we actually even had a conversation with them about it, it's probably not even true, but we carry this around for our whole lives and I do it too. And I think it's, that is powerful because you're bringing awareness to it and then saying, no, I'm actually not carrying this anymore. This is not true. And I'm just going to be my own authentic self. Something you said earlier really resonated with me as well about the movement. And especially as we're in this time right now, we are picking up energy from all around us. And I feel like there have been times because I'm pretty, you know, I love being around people and I'm definitely not around people as much now. And I do find myself getting into those really low moods a lot more often than I was before. And there are times when I feel like I know that I want to work out, but I don't even have the energy to move right now or I don't feel like it. And then as soon as I go and do something, like I was really drawn to yoga the other day and I just went to a yoga class and it felt so amazing to just stretch and get it all. Like I feel like so many things are just being released because we're picking up so much energy from from other people. So that really resonated with me. Like even I, I try and just imagine how I'll feel after I do that form of movement or form of workout because it was literally like night and day after I left that yoga class. I was like, this is amazing. I was around people and it was great. I would love to transition a little bit as you're beginning to tell us a little bit more about your work and what you do and talk about your career journey. I think that it's so interesting and I have so much respect for the journey that can come from some hardship or some challenge as well. So you shared so much about the challenges that you've gone through and now you have, you're doing so much with your work and the way you're impacting people. Can you tell us about that journey for you and how the more difficult stuff maybe helped lead you to that? I would say like I grew up in advertising agencies in New York City and I kind of always knew that I wanted to be making stuff, making ideas and spent a long time there then really got like I would very concerned with like the people and the culture and the process and the way things were going and the way people were feeling and mentoring the interns and just frankly, like make a freaking idea now by 5am doesn't yield like a lot of creativity and it breeds fear. So from there, I went back and I got a master's in organizational change. So now I've been consulting probably for almost 10 years on my own now and just doing both a mix of organizational change. So culture transformation, talent assessment, you know, leadership development, which is like executive coaching, doing that. I do writing and I do tons of research. 
So basically conducting interviews with people, you know, usually in homes or in stores or, you know, lately it's been over Zoom, but just really like plugging into the heart of people, figuring out why they do the things they do, why they buy the things they buy, what are their like motivators. And for me, you know, at this point, at this stage in the game, I try to like only do the things that Mm -hmm. I can do. I've done a lot of everything. I've figured out what works and what doesn't. And when I'm doing research or speaking to another human being, it's like I am plugged in. I am plugged in. I am right there. I can write a final report, like not in my sleep. I mean, it takes a lot of grit and like, but it's like I was there. I'm an experiential learner. That's what I'm really good at doing. Or like if I'm in a room facilitating, it's like, hold on you're worried about an email that you want to send. Okay, guys, let's break. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm kind of witchy in that way. Yeah. 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 So that's, I mean, so I think that there's a lot of power for anybody who's like starting their own business on your career path. You know, what am I supposed to do in this world? What color is my parachute type (laughs) question to really like notice of where you feel most alive. Right. And for me, like I feel most alive when I'm moving. I mean, honestly, I'm a victim of a lot of trauma and that's very common for people who are in a lot of trauma. We like to stay moving. You know, that's when I feel most present, when that's when I feel like I can be most attentive, most creative. And so, yeah, and just, you know, tapped into other people, listening, that's when I feel best, um, collaborating. So I just try to do a lot of that and try to do less of the stuff I don't work with unkind people anymore. I won't work with assholes. I won't do it. You know what I mean? I want to work with people who lift me up Mm -hmm. and who are open to encouragement themselves. Mm Because that's how I like to work, build people up. Like life's Mm -hmm. too short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. And even now, if somebody isn't sure of what they want to go into, they can just start doing those little things now. Like, you know, if what lights you up in your day to day in a very, even if it's just a small way, like I really love, you know, getting a coffee and going for a walk instead of doing it, having the coffee in my apartment. That's just, you know, silly example, but just those little things that light you up and that can eventually help lead to the, you know, the bigger thing of a business you might want to start or something along those lines. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. And Catherine, you think about like, I love to go get coffee, like around people. So I just was Mm. isolated in the desert and I just went out to LA and I just got all this yummy stranger connection reminding me of like New York. I'm like, I'm a connector. I'm like, Oh, you could meet with this person. And like, you, you know, and it's like, even just starting to notice that when your brain is turning, I think of late, it's been really trusting that abundance and the universe has my back and that not doing the things that I don't Mm. like doing anymore, Mm. especially with COVID, money's getting tight, but it's just really getting clear on what I want, who I want to work with. And it's been pretty awesome. It's been, and even saying this out loud is reaffirming that for me. Because what I have to do is I know that like, I can't be working a hundred percent full time. So I can be on a project a hundred percent, but I at least have to have a day on average, like 10 days of a month where I'm like doing nothing, thinking about writing, doing more, nothing. It just, 
because for who I am as an artist, it takes a lot of space and time and I'm slow. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not one of those writers who like is going to come up with like, well, I might come up with an article that mm-hmm. talks about the new Beyonce album. But <laughs> Do you know your human design by any chance? It sounds like you're a projector. And so that's why I thought maybe you are. What is one of the other words? Your generator? That's what I am. Okay. Well, that's yeah. also why you're so connected to what lights you up because that's really for generators. You're meant to follow the things that light you up and say no. I'm a generator too. So we can, okay. it's hard sometimes to clear out the space of the things we think we should do. So that leads me to my question that, that I thought about when you were just sharing that. So you have to have a lot of trust, you said in, in so many words, and not feel like you need to say yes to the things you don't want to do. Do you have an example that you can share where you really had to have a lot of trust and say no to something that felt like, oh, I should just do that because like it's money or, or there's some other reason why I should do it, but I'm going to say no because it's not in alignment. And then it really worked out for you that you had said no. Yeah. I mean, I would say most of the times I just, I call up my dad. He's like, obviously, oh, are we having a conversation about you going back in for full full time again? Like, you know, it was kind of like, oh, you know, COVID's hitting. I think I should just go back and get a full-time job till the end of the year. So I had some Facebook interviews and usually what happens is universe. I used to say like rejection is God's protection. Like, you know, it's like, usually I don't get the job and I'm interviewing with that, that energy of like, okay, God, I'm telling you in universe, I'm telling you, I want to make some income and I'm willing to show up. I'm willing to work hard, you know, mm-hmm. but usually I won't get handed the things I'm not supposed to have. Yeah. Before. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I think I do have to be like, I'll just notice whenever I'm looking at full-time jobs on LinkedIn, it's usually a Friday afternoon. I'm usually about to start um, my period. And it's like, there's certain occurrences that are very, like common denominators that are happening whenever mm-hmm. I start. So I just have to notice, oh, this is that time again. And sort of back away mm-hmm. from the computer, watch some Netflix, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, never make decisions when there's any sort of emotions involved. I feel like that is similar to me too. I'm like, I can be quite impulsive, but I always tell myself, just wait, go to sleep and then see how you feel in the morning. That's so true. Mm-hmm. So we have there's one question that we ask all of our guests. What experience in your life has been your greatest teacher? Yeah, I mean, I would have to say, I mean, dear Adam, my ex-husband, I would just have to say it was like, my marriage that lasted just like three years door to door, I would have to say that like, you know, because of that marriage and eventual divorce, like that was my salvation. That was my gift. That was allowed me to get on the path of self-love, allowed me to speak about it, write about it, share about it, experience it myself. And that's my cross to bear. That's my purpose in life is to bring people self-love with all the realness, with all the F-bombs, with all the dark, messy ugliness. Yeah. I mean, that's my reason for being. That's beautiful. I think that is a universal truth. It's the most difficult, challenging stuff. Those are our greatest gifts. And like you just said, that you wouldn't be able to share all of the work that you're doing and the ways that you're helping other people if you hadn't gone through that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you for being so open and sharing in this conversation. I think it'll really help a lot of people, anyone listening. So it was great to talk to you. And where can people find you if they want to 
connect or find out more about your work or working with you? Yeah. So if you go to Instagram is probably the one stop shop, Aubrey, A-U-B-R-E-E dot Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S. From there, you can have a link to my website, which has my work, my writing. If you've heard me on this podcast, you can DM me and I'd love to connect with you. Yeah. So that's where you find me. Great. And we'll link all of that in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.